0: The focus of the point today is the parashah of Jethro. What is it that the Father has in store for us concerning this Parsha? We understand that thus so far, the people of Israel have been delivered from Egypt, right? Let's, let's get on track here. More importantly, the people have been delivered from Egypt. They have been delivered from the house of bondage, which we're going to talk a little bit about today in the Ten Commandments. or so on the Ten Words as he utters it. And now we see that the promises that were given to Abinu Abraham, our father Abraham, are starting to come true in this point in time and season in history. I don't know if you noticed, but what we're reading in here is fulfilled prophecy that was given to Abraham. We're witnessing it in here. You see, sometimes we take this for granted because we're reading the book. But little do we know is that as we're reading, these are prophecies that were prophesied prior to this, They actually were being fulfilled. Now, what's the point, and where am I going with this? That the Word of God is the only book that you can read actually fulfilled prophecies. This is very important. Because otherwise, it becomes just another book. Or a historical book, as many people are starting to treat it. But it's a book that is fulfilled a prophecy. Now, what does that have to do with us? It gives us hope. We're putting our hope in a word in a book that we see throughout history, God spoke and is coming to pass. So if the things in the past came true, what makes the things that the things in the future are not? Right? I mean, all the way up to all the way up to the New Testament, we see all fulfilled prophecy. We're starting right here. We're starting to see a lot of the prophecy of Abraham being fulfilled here. So that means that. The prophecy of Abraham seeing a shadow of the fulfilled prophecy here. That means that the fullness of that is yet to come. Because remember that the, uh, Genesis 12, 1 and 2, 3 has not been fully fulfilled yet. But we see bits and pieces how it has to a degree. So it's in layers how the father is doing this. Amen. So let's see. Very important aspect before I get started is that the word Jitro in here requires special attention because not very often the Torah portions actually carry the personal name of somebody. So whenever the Torah portion has a personal name, either one or two things, it's bad or it's very good. Right? So... And here we're going to see something very amazing because the father of, you is trying to reveal to us a, a drash, if you want to call it, remes in the name of Jethro. So let's see here. Exodus 18:1 says in Jethro, the priest of medium, Ma- Moses, father in law, heard of all that God has done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. So first, let's open up with what is Jethro? Number one. The understanding of his name will give us insight in what the message that the Father wants to convey to us in this parasha. So let's see here. Jethro is traditionally known as his excellence, right? Very good word. Not saying that that's wrong. But there's more to the word than just his excellence. That's the key word Hebrew, folks. It's not just one-sided. It's, you know, there's different meanings for one word but typically the word carries a weight and depending on the context that's how you apply it so jitro yeah means his excellence but we glean more than just his excellence right we see that jitro is from the hebrew word yater also means to be left over, to remain even a remnant interesting because now we have the name of a man who is an excellence who is a priest in his own country But now there's a connection with his authority, his priesthood, connected with the remnant. And we're going to see how is it that there's a connection here with the remnant and Jethro, the priest of Midian. Very beautiful. And pay attention because a lot of this really applies to us today. Amen. So it talks about the remnant. Jethro being this remnant, let's see how in scripture some of this word is used. Isaiah 10, 20, for instance, through 22 says, and it shall come to pass in that day, the future, in that day, that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob would never again depend on him who defeated them, but would depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return. Listen to what Isaiah is saying. The remnant will what? Return. Shuv. Shuvu. In other words, the remnant will repent. Whenever you see in scripture it says that they return, it's not that they're just returning just because, they're returning with a different heart. It's called repentance in Hebrew. So it says that the remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, it says. How many are the people of Israel? Well, the prophecy that was given to, by the way, he's quoting in here, Abraham. The prophecy was given to Abraham. That the remnant will be as the sand of the sea. Or that Israel will be as the sand of the sea. A remnant of them will return, it says. Wow, that's echoing what Romans says. Paul said in Romans that only a remnant will be safe, by the way. And in here, it's talking about that that remnant that's going to be saved is the one that's actually returning, the one that's repenting. So it says in here, The destruction decree shall overflow with righteousness, it says. Romans 9.29 says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as a sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. Now, what is the point that I'm sharing with this? Because in Judaism, folks, in Hazal in the Mishnah and all these writings that the, the sages of Israel wrote, it teaches that actually Jethro carries an, an important factor in their history. Why is that? Because Jethro was a convert. See, this is why it's so important to understand why it says a remnant. Yater also means a remnant. But what's interesting about Jethro is that he's not just a convert. He is a convert who came already with an authority. I mean, he was an authority figure in his own country. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because this plays an important role as to what we're dealing with today. Look, let's look at Jethro one more time, which means His Excellency, right? And it also means a remnant. Let's find out the Gimacha for for Jethro because, oh, it is the title of this portion, right? And the Gimacha value for Jethro is 616, and what is the numerical value for that word? Uvaharta. Uh, I'm sorry, Uvaharta. What is Uvaharta? It means to choose. Interesting. Now, what is this word specifically? Again, we're not talking about the root, the word specifically, how it's written. How, where do we find this? In the Torah. Well, we find it first and foremost in Deuteronomy 30.19. Look what it says. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that it has set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, what? Choose. Choose. The word there is choose. Jethro carries that connotation of choosing because, you see, Jethro had to make a choice. And what's interesting is what's so amazing about Jethro and why is it that Judaism really praises Jethro so much? It's because, again, he was a convert, just like Abino Abraham was a convert. Interesting enough. So, before I go on real quick, where does Jethro come from, by the way? What's his lineage? Midian, uh which comes back to Abraham, because those are the sons that Abraham had afterwards, after Sarai died. So he's a, direct lin- he's a direct lineage, essentially, for, to Abraham. So let me ask you all a question, because I, I'm going to go back to this. Do you think Jethro had an awareness of who the God of Abraham was? Perhaps? Just saying. Because if Abraham was the founding fathers, he would have known about the God of Abraham. Up to this point at least and isaac and jacob by the way but what happened what happened well folks it happens whatever happens people remove themselves through traditions bad traditions coming in and people end up falling into paganism and this essentially what happened with jethro this is a really really important correlation in here concerning us today with mainstream religion system that all claim back to the God of Israel kind of like Jethro who was claiming back to the God of Israel by the way the sages revealed that Jethro never ever denied the God of Israel well up to this point the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob meaning he still pled allegiance to that God but they were following the traditions of Midian. Does that sound familiar? In other words, we're, we're, we, 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 yeah, that God, that one right there, that, that, that powerful one, the one from Abraham, yeah, we believe in him too. But there was an issue. Kind of like what King says, Israel believed in God, but it was following the traditions of the nations, the idols of the nations, essentially. So this, this is kind of correlating with 1 Kings. And, and that is that Jethro, even though he believed in this God. So let me ask you something. To believe, is that good enough? No. Or profess is good enough? No. it's no. more to it, folks. So let's look at this. It says, Vaishma Yithro. And what's interesting is that it says, Vaishma. He heard all that God had done for who? For Israel, the Hazal and the ancient sages before and the, between the century, between the first, second century, share something very interesting about this. That shares light on when it says, yitro, And Jethro heard all that had happened. What, was there any internet back then? Was, did it, was it posted on Facebook? Right? Or did they text it? The event was so amazing and so great that Jethro heard about this, but not just Jethro, the whole entire world. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind because it wasn't just Jethro. The entire world heard about this. So how did they hear about this? It's what's interesting. Well, it's more than just human effort. We're going to see this. Exodus 18.1 and Mechita Amalek 3 says this. Rabbi Eliezer of Modin says, He came when he heard about the giving of the Torah. For when the Torah was given to Israel, all the kings of the world tremble in their palaces. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind because this is very prophetic for the future. Look what it says. It says in here, as it says, While in his temple... Say glory. Psalms 29.9. At that time, the kings of all the nations of the world gathered together and went to the wicked Balaam, according to Hazan. The kings of the world went to Balaam. Now, pause here, folks, because this is amazing, because when we get to the book of Numbers, this is all going to make sense, because Balaam, contrary to popular belief, was known as a man of God, not a sorcerer. See, we read about it, we know he's a sorcerer, but back then they didn't see him as a sorcerer, they saw him as a man of God. So, matter of fact, in Numbers says that we that the the people said to him, We know that who you bless is blessing, and who you curse is curse. Okay, hello. What does that go back to? Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Okay, those words are being transferred to Balaam. So now Balaam is the is the key guy, he's the guy in the area who does all the miracles. The man can really literally make a, a zebra appear anywhere, or an elephant. It will disappear for that matter. So he's very known in the area. He's very anointed, so to speak. Right? This is the area that we're talking about. Because now we have all these, all these you know, you got the, uh, the, the Jebusites. You know, you have the Midianites. You have all these different groups, pocket groups of people who are worshiping their own way. I got to put things in context so you can really appreciate it. All the people in the region have their own ways of worshiping, but they all go back to Abraham. I cannot emphasize that anymore. They are still going back to Abraham, meaning they're believing in the God of Abraham. Kind of like in the world today. Everybody believes in God. Right. But everybody's doing things differently. Much has not changed, family. Even back then, it was the same. So what happens in here? It says, look, at that time, the kings of all the nations of the world gathered together and went to the wicked Balaam. They said to him, Balaam, may it not be that God is planning to do to us what he did to the generation of the flood? Because remember, all these people would have known what happened with Noah. You know, an event that bad, you're going to be talking. That's the only thing you can talk about years to come. Seriously. So that for generation generation, the story goes on. Hey, yeah, you remember what happened in the flood? Whew, man, you know, it's the reason why they created the Tower of Babel. <laughs> because they were trying to escape the, the flood again. So that God will never pass that judgment on it. So what they say in here, they went to Balaam. He says, may not be that God is planning to do to us what he did to the generation of the flood. As it is said, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. Psalms 29.10, by the way. Exodus 18, 11. Let's see this. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in, that, for in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. So we want to share something very interesting in here because now the people are essentially telling um, the, uh, the people of the area coming to Balaam, right? Telling Balaam, what's, what's going on? Why are they going to Balaam, by the way? Again, we already discussed this because Balaam was the spiritual anointed prophet of the area who was supposedly a prophet of God. So Balaam essentially tells him, well, nothing's going to happen, guys. God ain't going to do nothing to us. Don't worry about it. You know, and this is very prophetic for the last days because in the last days when God returns, folks, okay. it's going to be such an uproar worldwide that everybody's going to hear about it. You don't need Facebook, by the way, for this. Everybody's going to hear about it when he returns. And we're going to see the false prophets trying to make an explanation as to what's going on, so sort of to speak, right? So what happens in here? Now we see in Exodus 18, era, now I know, now Jethro hears about what's happening. Because according to the Torah, the event that took place in Mount Sinai, when God came down, it was so powerful. The thunder, the lightning was not limited to just Mount Sinai. In other words, the whole entire world heard about it. Meaning, it wasn't gossip. It wasn't somebody coming down with a camel bringing the news. But rather, instantly when this happened, everybody heard about it. Kind of like when Yeshua returns back. Do you really believe that you're going to have to need Facebook for this? The entire world's going to hear about it. Because when he comes back, he's coming back in his glory. This is what happened here. Hashem descended in his glory. And now... Jethro hears about this, and now he remembers. That's why it says, Why does it choose to say, Because the, the connotation of when he said that he heard, meaning that he got convicted. Because what is Shema? To hear and to obey. You see? So what happens? He says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in everything which they behave proudly, now it's interesting and in that behave proudly. I want to I share this with you because I don't know what your translation says. What does your translation say? <coughs> arrogantly. that's a probably actually just about right right there. So let's read this in Hebrew. It says yedati." <coughs> it says <coughs> it says Yehovah, Mikol ha Elohim." It says davar." Zadu Elohim. So the word in here that it says that that, 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 that is translated as um, proudly is the word Zadu. What is Zadu? To boil, to act proudly, to act rebelliously, to be arrogant, folks, be rebellious and proud essentially. So when the people heard this, let's go back. Oops. Look, when the people heard this, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. In other words, what is revealing in there is that in that area, again, we got to f- understand the history to really appreciate this. The area was known for idol worshipers, but they all claimed God, the God of, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they were all doing it in their own ways. So all these pocket groups that are doing things in their own way so to speak it's saying that they acted proudly let's go back and let's, let's see this now now let's put it in context. they were arrogant they rebel why was they why were they rebellious why would they consider arrogant because they did not follow his Torah see folks let me let me share this look Romans chapter 11:19 what does it say? You will, you will say then branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. And if you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Interesting that Romans share something in here that's very, very connected with what we just read. Because it explains in here that the people, everybody did what was right in their own eyes at that time. And they were acting arrogantly, essentially, above the word. Let me ask you something, folks, or rather not ask you, but I want to share something. If you deny the word of Hashem, you are putting yourself above him. Essentially. You are essentially saying that your way is more authoritative than his. Okay, that's by definition, that's arrogant. That's exactly what in here Romans warns us, and this is where we go back real quick. This is in here what uh, the people essentially were doing, putting themselves above God. Look, in Hizuni Exodus eighteen eleven. look what it says. Jethro explains what had prompted him to say that he now realizes that the God of the Israelites is greater than any other deity. The reason is that when analyzing the method by which God imposes penalties on the sinners, it becomes evident that the punishment matches the sin committed, essentially. How is that that so? Well, let's go back real quick in here. There we go. I'm having a little bit of issue with this. So the punishment method in here is, well, kind of like what happened in Egypt. The Israelites were drowned, and according to Hazal, the reason why the Israelites were drowned is peca- not the Israelites, The Egyptians were drowned, is because the baby Israelites were drowned. Because remember, that every little baby born was drowned. drowned. Yes. drowned. yes, yes, meeting the merit that they had committed is not equal the same. Very very similar. So let's look at this. uh, And Hizunu reveals that in Jeremiah sixteen nineteen says, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentile shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless and unprofitable things. Why are they gonna come and say that, folks? because on that day it's going to happen what's happening in here when god gave the torah folks there was literally a cataclysm all over the world sort of to speak it almost looked like the world was going to end and the people were afraid and the people didn't know what to do with themselves this is the reason why they went to Balaam. Balaam, give us answers man the world's gonna end they were afraid that exactly that they, what happened in the generation of the flood was going to happen to them. This is, I mean, amazing, folks, because I don't know if you've seen what I'm seeing in here. The picture in here is a foreshadow of what's going to happen in the latter days when Hashem returns down. And what is he going to do? He's bringing his Torah. See what happened in Mount Sinai? Hashem descended and brought down his Torah. And the world was looked like the world was going to end, like doomsday. This is how everybody heard about it. When he returns back again, when he comes down again, the whole world is going to know, folks. That's why it says that every eye will see. Every year we're here and every eye will see when Yeshua returns back. So it says, surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthless things, unprofitable things. Zechariah 3, coming in agreement with Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you what's happening in here the people are frantic they don't know what's happening so now they're looking for answers but the problem is Balaam can't really give him much of an answer i said they just tickle the ear essentially so now what happens we now we talk about the covenant meal now that jethro hears about all this jethro is convinced he wants to partake of the covenant of israel he sees that it is futile to worship god any other way other than the way out the father's did, And he's coming to that realization. Now in Exodus 18:12 it says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. I don't know if you understand, but in here, what's happening is there's an ordination taking place. See, Jethro was already a leader. Remember, he says that he was the what? The high priest of Midian, right? But now what happens is he is actually crossing over and coming to the God of Israel, right? But now what happens is, because this connects with now Jethro's advice to Moses. Remember? Jethro is now going to give advice to Moses. Leaders of 50s, leaders of hundreds and thousands and all this. But before Jethro can speak to Moses and have authority, essentially, this event had to take place. See, the, 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 this consecration, essentially, of the priesthood, I and mean, it's interesting because who are the people who are there? The elders of Israel. By the way, there's a great midrash just on this verse right here. We could spend probably hours talking about it, but we're not going to do that today. We don't have time for that. But in here, it says that uh, uh, Jethro, uh, uh, Moses' father, took the burnt offering. That is the olah offering in Hebrew. That is complete surrendering. I mean, if you don't know anything about temple service, folks, it's important that we start learning it learn the offerings because all the bible is referring to back to the offerings it's all about the temple we have to understand this so he gave the burnt offering meaning that he surrender his life completely to the mighty one of israel see if we don't understand that we're just going to say okay he killed an animal and that was it But there's a significance behind this, all our offering that he gave. And it says that Aaron and the elders ate bread with Moses, father-in-law, before God. Literally in Hebrew, it's peneha Elohim. Literally in the face of God. How is it that Jethro was able to do this? It's the burnt offering and the offerings that he gave, folks. See, he was accepted, essentially, into the coming of the covenant of the God of Israel. May his name be blessed. Amen. So this is important. Up to this point, I want to share and reveal real quickly that what we have done so far, because today's teaching, the focus is as we get into the Ten Commandments. I really want to close in on that because there's a lot in here that we need to learn about the Ten Commandments. But I wanted to kind of expound leading up to that to understand that Jethro actually had to, again, come to conversion, essentially. That the people of the area all claim the God of Israel. That's important to understand. Because that's what we're dealing with today. We're dealing with people who say God. I mean, how often people say God out there? Think about it. Honestly, everybody says God. And everybody claims that God and them are like this. Right? I mean, you can't talk to people anymore about God because, you see, they're going to tell you, I have a relationship with God. God speaks to me. See, oh, that's a beast that we follow every day, folks, that we have to deal with every day. I mean, I will dare you to try to speak life into somebody out there, and they're going to go ahead and stop you say, wait a minute, I hear God. Because everybody hears God. Everybody's a prophet today. Everybody has prophet ears today. They have one-on-one communication with God. They enter into the Holy of Holies, and they don't need nobody else. This is exactly what was happening here. Dude, this is what the separation, what the Torah is trying to teach us, folks. See, we need to be careful with familiar spirits. We need to be careful with the people that we speak to. And most importantly, we need to be careful who we allow to speak into our lives. Very important. I have, I, I don't know how many people I have come across, some in this congregation, no longer here, but that they came across people in town and, you know, the people approached them and said, God has a word for you and they receive it. You need to be careful with that. First and foremost, understand who you are. If God has a word that he wants to give them to them, okay, it needs to be verified by two to three witnesses. It shouldn't be that way, by the way. So we need to be very careful. Again, this is the, this is the issue that, again, the people were dealing at that time. So understanding that helps us kind of now conclude in here with the commandments and understand what is it that, that Hashem was uh, trying to address with the people when he gave the commandments. Amen? So let's talk a little bit about the commandments now. Because they're very important right now let me ask you something did i say the commandments or did i say the words the words said here are the 10 words that i'm going to give you he didn't mess He didn't say commandments at this point because you see god's not looking at so much as commandments but rather as words of life here's a difference in how we address things so the commandments folks one of the things that i want to share today is I want to cover, try to cover at least three of the first three to four commandments, the first four commandments, because those deal specifically with how we approach the creator. And then the rest, of course, has to deal with how we deal with one another. Okay, what was the summarizing of the Torah? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. Okay, we see that in the Ten Commandments. We see the very first four dealing directly with relationship between mankind and God. And then the latter ones from the fifth all the way to the ten has to deal with dealing with each other and parents and all this, and all this kind of good stuff. So it's basically a summary. These ten are actually a summary. But later, later, Moses goes to explain what it means to love God. But what happened? The people couldn't take it. See, we we often think, well, God stopped at the 10. God didn't stop at the 10 that people couldn't take anymore. They said, Moses, you go up and you get the rest of the word for us. See, it wasn't just 10. So now let's look at this. Exodus 21 and 2 says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Let me ask you a question, folks. Is this the first commandment? No. This is not a commandment. This is a statement. This is an introduction. He is saying, first and foremost, before I give you my holy word, I want you to remember that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Why is that important folks? Because essentially this is this is huge. This opening statement is the one that people miss the most. We skip over that one. And we go right into the commandment. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But the very opening in here is explaining the rulership essentially. Let's look at this. Look what our Khazal uh, shares in this. Rabbi Judah the Prince, very familiar Says This informs us how praiseworthy Israel was for when they all stood before Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, all of them were united as one to accept the kingship of God. See, here's the key word, the kingship. That's why he says, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I am your king. Remember, I am your king. It was understood at that time that if you have a king, the king has orders that we need to follow. So he, before he even breaks it down, he's saying, "I am the, you need to accept my kingship. Let me ask you all something. Is Yeshua your king? Is Hashem your king or Yeshua your king? Good answer. If Hashem is your king, then we need to subject ourselves to our king. See, this is the things that we don't understand when we, especially in the system of religion that we came out, we think we, we deserve everything now. Entitlement. We fail to realize that you're not entitled to anything. Number one, as Paul says, you went from being a slave to sin to being a slave to righteousness now. Right here. The very opening explains that. <gasps> Y'all look shocked. It's true. Oh, my God. I'm a slave. Yeah. You are a slave to righteousness. Bow Hashem for that. Because scripture says that if you're not serving righteousness, you're serving wickedness. There is no middle ground, folks. See, the middle ground, religion created it for you. That's where religion came. Let me create a middle ground for you. It's called freedom. Baloney. You're serving either the ruler of this world or you're serving the ruler of heaven and earth. Look, so... Rabbi Judah the prince says, all of them were united as one to accept the kingship of God with joy. That's the key word. Not only that, but they stood surety for each other. Meaning, what was the, they held each other accountable. Why? Because they were all there. They all heard it. See, no religion in the world can claim this, folks. The Muslims can claim it. Nobody can claim it. That all an entire nation heard God. Usually it's a single prophet who speaks, and well, you got to take this guy's word for what it is. You got to assume that God spoke to but in here, an entire nation, over a million people heard God. What are the odds of that? You have one testimony. That's why it says there was surety for one another, the accountability. Okay, do we have that today? Absolutely. Open your Bible. We have surety for one another. We can keep one another accountable. Well, for many people, that seems like it's horrible. Bondage. But if you're really, truly seeking righteousness and you love God, it's going to be good. So let's look at this. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, it says. Right? Let's read this in Hebrew. It says, Anoki Yehovah Elohecha, it says. That's the first part. I am the Lord your God. Right? It says Asher Hot Setiha Mehretz Mibeit Avadim it says. It says I took you out, okay? From the land by Retz but it says avadim.'" The thing about this, folks, is that if we don't understand the language in here, it's going to go way over our heads. The first thing that he's telling him is, I redeem you from the abadim. What is abadim? It's avat. Avat means a servant. But in the context of scripture, whenever we're talking about avat in Hebrew, it also means a worshiper. Because worshippers are known as abadims. So let's look at it. Let's read what Hazal says. Hazal says, The house of bondage, of Adim, the house of worshipers of them, for they were worshippers of idolatry. God is reminding them before he gives them the Torah, remember that you were a worshipper of idolatry. Remember where you came from. Because you see, I'm going to now, you're going to take my yoke, I'm going to be your king. Essentially what he's saying in the opening statement, you don't have the right to change my word, as many have done today. I'm going to set you free, and now I'm going to show you how to worship me. Because you see, what's the issue here? Now you have a mixed multitude, remember? Who's in, who's in this mountain? It's not just Israel. It's the mixed multitude also. All of them were there. All of them heard the word of the Creator. And now he is saying, everything that you have learned, guys, before we start and I give you my Torah, everything that you have learned, you need to flush it down the toilet. Or rather, get a shovel, dig a hole and put it there because there was no toilets. I want you to now learn and and I'm going to introduce you to my edicts and my way because now you're declaring that I am your king, right? All the things that you have learned in the past. Basically, he is telling them in this statement, are futile. Look, we see an example of this. Because remember, we can honestly say that at this point in history, as Israel, beloved Israel, standing before Hashem, getting ready to receive the Torah, by the way. And by the way, what season is this? Shavuot. It says in the scripture, on the third month, Okay, if you do the counting from the Passover to there, it will be about three months. It will have been somewhere in the May summer area. They were celebrating Shavuot. Okay, Shavuot is the commemoration of the giving of the Torah. Keep that in mind also because Acts chapter 2 was not a new event. It's a replica of what's happening here. Okay, now how many people were in the mountain this day? Millions of people. Okay, how many people spoke the same? How many languages were there? Well, there were people from all the nations, it says. So there was people from all different languages, but they all understood when God spoke one language. That's That's what we call holy tongues, by the way. Not the stuff that we, the the babble that we hear today from family. God spoke his holy tongue and all the people, Who didn't understood, understood. That's amazing. They didn't go and study the language. They miraculously knew the language. Now, that's the true gifting of the Spirit there, by the way. So, let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. Addressing to a Corinthians, by the way, if any of you know the history of Corinthians, Paul is dealing with Gentile converts not just gentile gentile converts these were this was a messianic if you want to call it a messianic community who were by nature gentiles before they came into this okay very similar to what we're dealing here and what jethro dealt with what happens now concerning spiritual gifts brethren i do not want you to be ignorant you know that you were gentiles carry away to these dumb idols He's letting the people know, remember, you were Gentiles. They were carried away by all these fertility. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole passage in there. But the idea is to give you a cross-reference check in here that this is exactly what was happening in Mount Sinai. They are about to receive God's holy law now. And now the people have to have a choice to whether they will listen or not. So now what happens? After he makes the declaration, he says, I am the Lord. Remember, I took you out of the system of religion. Remember, Dim means worshipers. I took you out of your system of religion to introduce this to you. And what is, the, what is the first thing now? The first thing that he tells them is, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, that's a commandment. That's a commandment. That's a negative commandment, by the way. You shall have no other gods before me. Do you understand how often people quote this, but how little they understand it? You know, in the system of religion that we came out, they quote this all day long. Yeah, no other gods before us. Let's read this in Hebrew together to see what it means. In Hebrew it says, yes. lo yihye lach Elohim. It says, you shall not have for yourself. Lach means for yourself. So it says, lo yihye lach Elohim. And it says, acharim al panaba." So it says, you shall not have all no the gods. And the word panav is what? face, But in scripture, the word panav means my presence. Okay, so, but let's look at I highlighted the word there, acharim. Because this is the word that it says, you shall have no other. The word for other is this word acharim. Notice that Achaim in the Hebrew is actually in plural. Achal is singular. Achaim is plural. So he's saying, <laughs> not just one has said, all these other different gods, I don't want you to have any other but me. But what is still achaim? Let's look at this, because this is where it gets confusing. If I were to tell you right now, you shall have no other gods before me, what will be your understanding of that? Well, for most people in the world, they probably would say, well, I'm not following hinduism i'm not following buddhism i don't have statues of elephants in my house uh by the way i open this book right here every night so i know i'm in the right track i'm worshiping this god right here i'm not opening the the quran i'm not opening all these other books from all the religions so i must be doing the right thing i'm following i'm not following any other gods but the reality is that is about as false as it gets Although part of it is true in a sense, but it doesn't give you the complete understanding of Aharim. So what is Aharim, number one? And we're going to see something. Ahar means something other. That's why it's translated as other. Together with. We're going to cover this in just a minute. But I want to wanna, kind of make you understand so your brain can start thinking in here. Now we're going to turn to Hazal to give us a little bit more insight on this. Look what Hazal says, or rather, here it is, another next or strange, which is acharim. So acharim means something that's next to or something that's even strange. You ever heard in the temple service and even in the scripture when he says, you brought strange incense before me? Okay, this is acharim. uh, but, But notice that the people are still going to the temple. They're going to the temple of God. They're not going, by the way, there was temples everywhere at this point in time in history. Israel was not the only one exclusively with a temple. In this case, they're going about to build the tabernacle. But it's saying in here, the place where you go to meet God, all the nations had a tabernacle or a temple, some kind of figure to go and worship nothing new under the sun family see we have to understand this because otherwise we're going to completely recklessly misinterpret scripture so he is saying don't bring another God or don't bring another God or put him next to me or a strange God next to me notice they're still next to him in other words it's not an abandonment it's an accompaniment there's a difference. I'm not abandoning you, God. It's not a choice. It's not saying, okay, I choose Hinduism over the God of Israel. No. He's saying next to or something that's accompanying me. And we're going to cover that in, more in ju- more of that in just a minute. So let's look at this. Hazard says, the Sage is taught that there are two yokes that the Jew must accept unto himself. The yoke of God's kingship. Is that true? Absolutely. we see seen it here. The rent Torah is saying it. We have to accept his yoke. What did Yeshua said? My yoke is light and easy, but it's still yoke. It's still a yoke. To say that we don't have a yoke is a lie. Yeshua himself said it, take my yoke. So it says in here the yoke of the king, of God's kingship, and the yoke of his what? misvot That is his commandments. So do we claim the God of Israel? Do we claim Yeshua as our king? Then we have to claim the misvots. We have to. It has to, it comes to it's a package deal, family. You don't get to choose it. He said, This is all who I am. So in here they say this concept is the basis for these Midrashim. The people of Israel had first to freely accept God as their ruler and pledge their loyalty to him. That was the first thing. Could that be true? Or is that just traditions well let's see this folks because you see i'm going to show you the traditions a lot of tradition to edify the word of god whether Yeshua i said to the people why do you call me lord and lord but don't do what i tell you what do you think he was referring to this right here because this is the understanding of that time we accept the yoke of the king and we do his mitzvot so he said don't call me lord if you're not going to do what i'm asking you to do right so let's continue on here. Once they have done this, He can proclaim the rules and regulations they must follow now. Once we accept God as our king and our ruler, now we can start following the Torah. So what am I trying to say with this folks? and this might shock you that's going to come out of my lips, but the Torah is not for everybody. It's not. The Torah, as a matter of fact, Hazel says that the Torah was offered to Esau's descendants. It was offered to all the people in the nations and they denied it. When he finally came to Israel, Israel accepted it. Now, the Torah is for everybody, meaning it's extended for everybody. But if God is not their king, how can we expect them to follow Torah? Honestly, we need to be careful on what we're preaching out there. I'm not going to go to somebody and say, well, you are in the boat that you are because you don't follow Torah. They they don't even have God as their king. So understand that the Torah is binding on those who are calling him king. So moving on in here. If he is indeed their king, right, they will readily accept his decrees. The first of his regulation is that they are not to worship other so-called gods. The twice-daily recitation of the Shema, which is why the Jewish people recite this twice a day, Here, Israel, and Jewish worpor- worship repeats this pattern. The first paragraph is considered the acceptance of God's kingship. Understand that when you're reciting the Shema, you are reciting and telling God he is king. Simply put. And you will hear and you will obey. This is why we recite it twice a day and sometimes three times a day to remind ourselves and to let the king know that we are completely his subjects. This is beautiful, folks. So the first paragraph considered the acceptance of God's kingship and the second, the acceptance of his mitzvot as well, folks. So let's go back to this now. Acharim, which means next. Now, this is going to really shock you, folks, that this word here in Hebrew, aharim, because remember, it means another also. But when you think of another, you're thinking another subject. But the reality is the way this this word is readed here in Hebrew is identification of the same person but changing their character. Mm -hmm. Let me share something with you because, you see, now I promise you that after I share this verse, you're going to read it differently from here on out. Remember, what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And that word, Aharim, means another. Right? Keep that in mind. Because now, when you go to 2 Corinthians 11.4, this is going to make more sense. When Paul says, for if he who comes preaches another, Yeshua, acharim," See, this goes back to the first commandment. See, Paul's addressing the people here that they're violating the very first commandment. How is it that they're violating the very first commandment? Because they're preaching another Yeshua. Look, if one comes, preaches another Yeshua, Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a what? Different gospel. Okay, what is the Torah here is revealing in the Brichada Shah? That if you're claiming the God of Israel, but you are preaching another, you receiving a different spirit, and you are preaching another gospel, I'm afraid to tell you that you violated the first commandment in the Torah, and that is you build another God. Because you see, it has to line up. Otherwise, you're preaching another one. By the way, the spirit is very, very simple. How many people have said We don't follow the law of God because the Holy Spirit has not convicted us. Oh, I heard that. Guys, I heard a lot of things. Because I deal with a lot of people. Oh, the Holy Spirit has not convicted me. Okay, that's a different spirit. Okay, that's a different God. You violated rule number one in the Torah, and that is you have built yourself another Aharim God. You have come before the creator of the universe, but now you bring in your old traditions that are contrary, because now our traditions are bad, traditions that are contrary to the word of God. Look, he says, which we have not received are different gospel, which we have not accepted. I'm going to submit to you today that the gospel that's being preached all over the world is a false gospel. It cannot get any more false than what it is, folks because you see if the gospel that they preaching out there doesn't line up with the gospel of abraham is false simply put because the gospel was already given to abraham according to galatians chapter 5 so that gospel has to match otherwise you're building another that's why he says i am afraid that you are going to build another yeshua and i will submit to you that his fear here has come true right. if only he can look into the window into the future and see where we are at boy look how how far we have come that we literally have molded another messiah okay that's violation of commandment number one so all these people in the system of religion who are claiming the messiah as a lawless one with a different gospel they already are violating commandment number one they're building another god and then you wonder why are you having these arguments with them then you wonder well, why can we not see eye to eye on nothing because folks it's different simply put it's a different god it's a different messiah and this is the things that he's saying not to do galatians 1 6 3, 11 says i marvel he says that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of messiah to a what different gospel you know the things that we're experiencing today paul was already starting to see it here folks You know, we just come this far, but this ugliness was already starting, even here. I mean, even at that time, he says, uh, I I call you into the grace of Messiah to a different gospel, which is not another, but there there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Messiah, folks. And I will submit to you, folks, that that can be revealed in many different ways. Paul is talking in here to the Galuts. These are Jews who were in the exile. But can we have the same thing for Christianity today? Absolutely. Either we go too far left or we go too far right. And this is the problem. So let's continue here. But even if we, listen to what he says, even if we, who is we? Paul and all the emissaries who were going in charge of bringing the gospel to the uh, Asia Minor. He said, even if we, or an angel from heaven, guys, you got to see the the harmony on this one. Because he said, even if an angel from heaven comes and tells you this, (coughs) Joseph Smith, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Even if an angel from heaven, Maroni, (coughs) comes and tells you this. I mean, but it's the truth. What is the basis of all false religion? One man out in the wilderness got uh, an angel appear and spoke to him. That's what happened with Muhammad." It's always one person out in the middle of nowhere. Not that that's bad, but the problem is the gospel, the, 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 the revelation that they receive, and it's, 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 it's a, a revelation that has no basis in Scripture, but yet we run with that. So, okay, so Paul wants us in here. Let's go back. Or oh, an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you that we have not preached to you, let him be a curse. Only if we would have read that, we would have probably have less denominations right now. If we would have followed this premises right here. So, as we have said before, so now I say it again. Here's Paul reiterating. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. Why? Because the very first commandment says you shall not have no other God, a harim, before me. Don't bring the traditions of your old denominations to Torah. You know, we're seeing this today in the, in the Messianic movement. I hate to say it, folks. We're bringing elements from all our backgrounds into Torah now. Now we're Im- mixing them. Okay, that's a violation of the very first commandment. Yeah. Stop bringing your traditions that go against His word. Stay pure and holy for Him. This is what He wants for His bride. For do I now persuade men or God, he says. It's part of the problem today is that we too worry about what men think. Because you see, we don't want to be excluded. Right? Because we love acceptance. That's human nature. Well, you don't accept me, then I feel left off now. But Paul says in here, who cares about what men thinks? You endeavor to the king, not to men. Remember that. For do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Messiah. Okay, how many people out there claim that they are servants of the Most High? But yet, they're completely, completely recklessly doing away with his word. Okay, you're not a bondservant of Messiah. You are a pleaser of men. You're tickling ears now. See, all this goes back to the first commandment. I don't know if I'm, I'm losing you on this, but it's all connected with the first commandment. The very first. Because we always think that the first commandment, okay, well, as long as I'm not doing practicing other religion, I'm okay. No. If you are opening that Bible and you're claiming the God of that Bible, but you're not doing what he says, you are forming another God. Understand that, if not anything for the teaching today. Get this, folks. So, continue on in here. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, he says. It is not full of theology. It comes divinely from heaven. It is his. It's the, God, the, 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 the gospel that comes from heaven. But the question is now is, what is that gospel? Which one is the gospel not according to man? It's my, my question to all of you. And the, the answer to that is actually in Scripture. Look, Galatians 3.8 says, And the Scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, And you, all the nations, shall be blessed. Where do we read that at? Genesis chapter 12. See, Genesis chapter 12, 3, has to do with the graftening of the nation. That is the gospel. That's the Bezoah. Okay, so how is that fitting today with what we're preaching out there? Let's contrast it. Are we encouraging people to come to Torah? Are we leading people to good works? Are we showing the people that we have been grafted in and not to start your own religion? We have not done that, folks. We have done the very opposite. This is why it's so important to understand this. Ephesians 3 5 and 6 says which in another ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit and by his holy apostles and prophets both that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs that's part of the gospel they're fellow heirs of the same body is that true today I mean are we seeing one body out there today are we heirs of anybody? We're not even heirs within Christianity today. This is the thing, folks. You see, this is the Besorah. This all falls into the first commandment. The very we, we haven't even moved to the second. This is just the first. And look how the great job we've done so far. But now that we know the truth, we have an obligation to fix the problem. You carry that obligation now. And says, and partakers of the, his promise and Messiah through the gospel. Exodus 27, moving on. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Again, a commandment that people say when you say God, <gasps> you're using his name in vain. It's true. Oh, no, we had a, peep, a few of them in here. How had a problem? Because I said God. You're taking his name in vain. Is that what it's saying? First of all, God is not even his name. It says title. Let's get one thing straight. Because men have the title of God. Elohim. They're called judges, by the way. And that name for judges is Elohim, which is translated as God also. So, calm down. Let's look at this now. What, how is it that this reads? Because it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And Hebrew says, Lotisha. I'm sorry, Lotisha et Shem Yehovah. His name. Elohecha, by the way, Shem Yehovah, not Shem Elohim. Elohim is a title, not his name. So you can say God, it's okay. You're not not taking his name in vain. What's really taking his name in vain, which is going to shock everybody in here, is this right here. It says, (laughs) Lotisa et Shem Yehovah Elohecha la shaveh. Ha. (laughs) Shave, 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 Shave. Amazing, amazing little word. What is Shave? Let's see this in Hebrew together. Because it's saying that you shall not take the name in vain. That word in vain is the Hebrew word Shave. That's what we that's what your translation says in vain. But in Shave literally means falsehood, wickedness. In other words, if you're saying that God did away with the law, You are bringing falsehood to his name. Oh, that is so different than just saying God. (laughs) And these are the same people who crucify you because you say God, but they're the first ones going out there literally taking his name in vain because they're saying, oh, we can eat pork, we can do whatever we want. Okay, you're taking his name now and you're bringing it to nothing. Ooh, quite different, isn't it? Very, very different, folks. So far, we only have two commandments. And we see how recklessly people are completely abusing these commandments. And we're only on number two, folks. We're only on number two. So falsehood, wickedness. If we're saying God did with this and God did with that, what's, what's, what's the deal? Well, okay, we're calling him wicked then. We're saying that he's not the God of Israel. That's bringing his name in vain. So we're going to conclude with this now. Exodus 28. Let's get into the Shabbat real quick. This is important. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay, here we go. You know what? Most people say, well, all those people out there, you know, they they don't keep the four commandments, Richard. I'm gonna submit to you, they don't keep one, two, or three, or oh, four. Thus so far. Forget about four. They completely abolished one and two thus so far. So we're learning. So let's see the fourth one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In Hebrew, it says "zachor et yom hashabbat lekadushot." So it says "zachor." Zachor. I'm sorry. Zachor et yom hashabbat. What is zachor? It is zachar, which means to remember, but it carries more than just remembering. Zachor literally means to remember, to recall, to call to mind. Now I'm going to share something with you god is not saying to stay in your house and your bed and say i remember the sabbath yes it's the sabbath hmm, okay folks believe it or not there's people that still teach that really really is that what yeshua was doing sitting in his bed saying today is the sabbath thank you god Zahor means to call to mind a remembrance. That means that you're actively, by the way, that word is active. Let me show you an example how that word is used in scripture so you can understand it. Look, Genesis 8 1 says, And then God remembered Noah. Did God forget? Did God say, Oh, <laughs> no, I forgot about you, but I remember? <laughs> it's the same word. For all those who say that you don't have to come and gather on Shabbat, Shabbat, folks, I've got a, oh, I got a big problem with that. Because as he says, that God remembered. The understanding of this is that God acted, action. When he says he remember, is that he now says, look, every living thing and all the animals there were in the with him in the ark, and God made a wind pass over. Okay, God did something. Why? Because he remembered. See the act of uh, zahor. Zahor means that you are actively doing something. So when it says that when it says in here that God remember, it's not that He forgot, but rather He was acting on the promise that He said He would do. So zahor carries the connotation to remember the Sabbath means that you're not just remembering, but you are actively doing something to call to mind. Understood? But there's a whole lot more to that. But we, we will get to that when we get into Leviticus. Acts 13, 40, uh, 42-43 says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next what? <sighs> see, in the first century, all Gentiles were on the synagogue. Learning Moses. They were not at home. Because you see, the Shabbat is also known as a mikra. What is a mikrah? Well, some people say it's a rehearsal, yeah, but that's not the bulk of the word because word mikrah literally means "kara." You know the book of Leviticus, when it opens up the very first parasha, it says vayikrah. Okay, that is the calling of the assembly. You are commanded to gather on Shabbat, folks. Imagine if Acts chapter 2, I just want you to really think about this, folks. All it takes is just a little bit of thinking. And I promise you that all these guys out there who are trying to get you derailed from God's word, you'll call them out right quick. If Shabbat was just something that we just rest and we don't have to do anything, just sit home. Why was on the day of Shavuot, the day it says that every person on the earth was there? Well, because Shavuot is also known as a Shabbaton. So. The Shabbat is something that you gather is commanded. Now, in the gathering, in the gathering, you're rehearsing. But what are we rehearsing for? For Hashem's gathering. You see? One doesn't contradict the other. You are commanded to gather on Shabbat. Because guess what, folks? If you're not gathering on Shabbat, you're scattering. Simply put. And God, whether you like it or not, And this is a big one, whether you like it or not, God wants us together, simply put. Because this assembly is going to be picked up together. Moses left together with a nation. It wasn't all individually. It's not one saying, well, Moses, I'm going to take this route. Okay, I'll take that route. All right, well, we see each other in the promised land, Moses. They were together. This concept is very foreign for us today. We don't understand it. We don't like it because America has done a great disservice to us and making us very, very, very independent. Let's just be polite. And now gathering with people is like, ooh, I don't want to be around these people. You have to be with these people, whether you like it or not. Yeshua was under the synagogue every Shabbat. The people were there every Shabbat. And here we read they're always gathering. Why? Because mikra means to gather. It's gathering, folks. Not just rehearsing in your home and just thinking about it. You're actively coming to the synagogue. So now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes follow Paul and Barnabas who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So we see that they gather on the Sabbath. Acts 13, 42, 43. On the next Shabbat, almost the whole city came together to what? To hear the words of the Lord. Why? Because Shabbat is a calling. By the way the mikra means that when the person was stand to read the Torah it was a calling of the people to hear it. You can't do that from your bedroom. You have to come and assemble folks. It is commanded. Anybody that teaches otherwise is a liar. Simply put. And it's twisting the word of God. Simply put. That's the plan of the enemy. So it says that the whole congregation, the whole city came together to hear the word. Okay, if it's the whole city, would there be Gentiles included in this? Yes. Absolutely. Because Shabbat is not just for the Jews, Shabbat is also for Gentiles, because Gentiles are not considered Gentiles because now they're grafted into the covenants of Israel. Right? So what about Sunday as God's chosen set apart day? That's a question. We're talking about the fourth day, the fourth commandment. Right? Let's see a few facts in here. There are no biblical reference for Sunday being the new Sabbath day. Now, that's not to say that you cannot worship on Sabbath. I mean, on Sunday. But Sunday is not a sanctified day by God. Simply put, again, I'm going to repeat myself. It doesn't mean that you cannot worship on Sunday. You can worship seven days a week and you should. This is not about worship. This is about the day that he sanctify in holiness to elevate you to holiness. Sunday institution began with Constantine as the Catholic Church. It was never ordained by God, but rather by the Pope. And many people today are completely abolishing Sabbath, which, by the way, is the Fourth Commandment. Why am I talking about this? Because we're talking about the Fourth Commandment. It's appropriate. Why are we not following the Fourth Commandment? Well, we already know we abolished one, two, and three. so can i really i'm going to recap real quick in here if we abolish one two and three as we witnessed so far and we abolish four are we truly loving god the first four has to do with relation between you and god and honoring him don't tell me you love god and you honor god when you haven't done not even the first one so sunday enforcement law of march 7th AD 321 Constantine says this on the venerable day of the sun let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest and let all workshops be closed this was a decree made in here what was the day of the sun even a kindergarten can tell you that wasn't Saturday the day of the sun is Sunday the decree in here is the first day of the week by the pope is we are to shut everything down completely the consul Laodicea, A.D. 364, says this. Christians should not judaise and be idle on Saturday, but shall work on that day. These are records of history. You see? They're saying they should not rest. They should go to work. It actually, it's not a suggestion. They're commanding you. Go to work. But look what it says. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor and as being christians shall if possible do no work on that day if however they are found what judaizing what is judaizing see folks you got to read into this because there was no such thing back then either you came to the faith of the jews or you were gentile simply believe there was no options today we got different names for it but back then it was okay you came to israel if you wanted to know about the god of israel where did you go to the jews it's okay You can say it it's not a sin because that's the way god had it arranged he left the light before in jerusalem he said for one reason so that his word would not disappear on the face of this earth we know what we know today thanks to the people in israel we have a bible today thanks to the people of israel folks we have this beautiful torah scroll thanks to the people of israel and you've been grafted into to these people. Start speaking against them. Be a part of them. Be and hold their hands. Learn from them. And guess what? You will provoke them to jealousy. Because when they see, wow, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. And you know, start preaching that nonsense that we have been learning all lives. And you actually make sense. You might actually gain a soul that way. Amen. I will submit to you it's happening right now as we speak. Why? Because we're preaching the gospel in the proper context. Remember, the faith belongs to them. It's not ours. You don't own this faith. You were grafted into this faith. I'm going to repeat it. You don't own this faith. Stop acting like you own it. You don't have a right to change anything. None. The Torah actually forbids it. If we call ourselves Torah Reservant, why are we changing times and seasons? That was the job for the Sahedron, not for you. A lot of things we need to learn, folks. If, however, they are found what Judaism, they shall be shut out from Christ. This is the reason why you are getting the problems that you are uh, having out there with people. They don't want to deal with you. They say you're falling out of grace. Why? Because of the decree here. Now you know where they're getting it from. See, this is the kind of stuff they teach you in seminary. See? Catholic Press, Sydney, Australia, August 1900. Look what it says. Sunday is a Catholic institution and its claim to observance can be defended only on Catholic principles. Okay? From beginning to end, look what it says. From beginning to end of Scripture, there is not a single passage that warrants the transfer of a a weekly public worship from the last day of the week to the first. They themselves declare this. Okay, let me ask you something, folks. So why are we following this? Because remember, it's so talk about the yoke that you submit to you, you submit to. And when they when all Israel went to the mountain in here, they submitted to the king's yoke. But this is not the king's yoke. <coughs> and little, the, little the, the Protestant movement knows today that what they're keeping is actually Catholic origin, not God. Very, very interesting, isn't it? So we're going to end with this 2nd Peter 3:15 through 17 says and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation right as also our beloved brother Paul right according to the wisdom given to him has written to you as also in all his epistles that means Paul's letters Speaking in them all these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Peter says that the, Paul's, the letters of Paul are hard to understand. Yeah, uh, that's an understatement, right? Which, but listen to what I said, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. It says that they're taking Paul's letter, and Peter already warned us about this. Funny. He already gave us a warning. They're going to use Paul's letters, but it gets better, I promise you. Because you see, when we see this in here, we're like, okay, untaught and unstable people. Many people will say, well, we're not untaught. We're, not, we're, we're, we're trained, because everybody thinks they're a scholar in their own world, right? So let's just say this. They twist their own the, the words to destruction, right? But the answer to this is actually in the next verse. What is destruction? How is it that they're twisting the word to destruction? The answer is here. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also, what? Far, right? From your own, what? Steadfastness, which is what? Faith. Faith and assurance in God. being led away with the error of the, what? The wicked. Okay, so... The answer is here because it's saying that the result of misinterpreting Paul's letter, the result of that is wicked. What is that word in Greek there for wicked? It's atesmos, which means lawless. Look, one who breaks through the restraint of law and gratifies his lust. So, the result of Paul's letter is lawlessness and Peter tells us beware because that's going to lead you to what to destruction family this is amazing look Matthew 7 13 the king reminds us in here enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what but that's what Peter said about the people who twist Paul's letters it leads to destruction why because it's wide the road is wide real quickly we're going to dismiss now but real quickly can anybody go to acts chapter six i gotta i gotta include this real quickly before we dismiss this will be it for today or at least for the torah portion acts chapter six acts chapter six and let's see here because we gotta we gotta do this this is important We're talking about the commandments of God in this parasha. So we have to understand why we believe what we believe today. Why the world believes what it believes. Let's go to Acts chapter 6 verses 11 through 14. What does it say? Let me go ahead and find it here. Acts 6 and I'm going to read it out loud here. Because you see Peter warns us in here that people twist Paul's letters to lawlessness right? and in Acts chapter 6 11-14 says so they secretly persuade some men to allege we heard him speak blasphemously against Moses and against God they stir up the people as well as the elders and the Torah teachers they set up false witnesses against Paul in Acts chapter 6 Steve. C- I mean, yeah Steve can I share something with you If you're claiming that Paul is the reason why we don't do the law, you are coming in agreement as a false witness. Because that's exactly what happened in here. It says that they set up false witnesses to say he speaks against the what? The the, the Torah. Ooh. And now let's finalize with this. Acts chapter 24. You see, they have to actually set up false witnesses. Do you realize, folks? They actually have to set up false witnesses to prove that Paul was speaking against the law. If he was, they, didn't, they wouldn't have to do that. The fact that they have to set up false witnesses indicates the opposite. Okay, well, you don't have to believe me. Let's just go over here to Acts now. Let's go to Acts 24, verse 14. Now Paul is speaking before Felix, the governor. And what does Paul say here? Again, same words. We just, <laughs> just kind of proof texting in here. In verse 11, he says, As you can verify for yourself, he, s- he tells Felix, It has not been more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. Wait a minute, this is not it. 14. 14, yeah. But this I do admit to you, he says, I worship the God of our fathers in accordance with the way which they call a sect. I continue to believe everything that accords with the Torah, the law, and everything with the prophets. And here Paul makes a declaration to say, everything that you heard is false. I am a supporter of the law and the prophets. Yet, Peter warns us, Paul talks about it, and yet tradition overtakes the power of that. So we're going to conclude this teaching for today. And the, the, the idea is that we remember through Jethro, because remember, Jethro a convert. We as converts have come into the Torah, and he's making a priesthood. Jethro was a priest. What do we need to do to be a priesthood? You see, the Torah is really something. Jethro, the priesthood, and the Torah all connect together. To be a priesthood in God's kingdom, you need to be Torah observant. See, that's the that's the beauty of how, how the Torah relates and all these things. So my prayer is that we this will sink in and that we will understand his word and we will continue in the faith that was delivered once to us. Amen. This half Torah portion of, of scripture today uh very much comes in alignment with what we learned today. Um and I, I'll share, here, let me just get organized in here. I'll share some of the details in this prophecy that we see here. The sages say that at the opening of this parasha of Haftorah deals with the Seferins, which is the angelic beings in heaven. Uh, one of the things that really we cannot fathom or, even you know, understand, to tell you the truth, because there are beings that are completely out of this world. So these are things as they try to really explain it to tell you the truth. None of it really makes sense. But what we really want to do, however, it's focused really in the message. And what can we draw from this message to see how does it connect with the message of Jethro? Now, you guys remember that Jethro was taken up to the mountain, right? And he partook of a burnt offering, a covenant meal with the elders of Israel, if you guys remember. And it says that they ate before uh, the God of Israel. And what we see in here, according to the sages, is that this is actually, in a sense, Isaiah's first prophecy, Actually, his real first prophet starts right here in chapter 6. Now, from here on out, he's going to be prophesizing left and right. But this is actually the beginning of his career, if you want to call it, as a prophet. So what's interesting that draws the attention, and I'm going to jump right into it, and that is Isaiah 6.8. We're going to start with that uh, today, but I wanted to read real quickly 7. Because it says in 7, he touched it. Or right, let me go back in 6. One of the seraph- seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a coal. He had taken it with tongues from atop the altar. He touched it to my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has gone away, and your sin shall be atoned for. Well, right off the bat, we see in here that this, this, uh, these coals, so to speak, the ashes in Hebrew, more, more, uh, more accurately, is actually was taken from the altar. And the altar is where we do the burnt offering, the sin offering, all these different things. So before, before Isaiah, and we're going to see where and how we connect this, before Isaiah is sent out to prophesy because he himself says, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. But we're going to see the connection in here. Before I do that, let's get, let's get to the actual reading so you can see. Isaiah 6 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Okay, up to this point, he already declared that he is one of uncircumcised lips. So the seraphim took care of that. In other words, before one is sent out, and we're going to see why do we say this, because in Hebrew it says, Va ishma et kol adonai omer et mi and then it says eshlach umi yelet LeAnu. so it's saying in here who will go for us but the word in here to go is eshlach which is shalach the hebrew word shalach and we've been discussing a lot about the hebrew word shalach in the last parsha, and that is to be sent out an apostle so we see we witness in here that this is the first mission for the prophet Isaiah is to be one who is sent out. But he felt unworthy to be sent out. And this is where the angel comes and literally takes the, the ashes from the burnt offering, the ashes from the sin offering, essentially, and smears it over his mouth. And now he says, you've been atoned for. Okay, there's a really a drashan here because this is revealing the revelation of being safe. You know, he was atoned for. And the result of atoning brought about a ushalach, a sending forward to speak the truth. I don't know if you see this. You know, if you feel that you got a calling to be sent out, folks, you better make sure that your lips are clean. What are we proclaiming out there? We can see the difference. Now, Jethro the same way, because Hazar says that with Jethro, Jethro was actually, he, after he took up that covenant, he didn't go immediately with Moses because he went to minister to the people in Midian. He went to make converts in Midian. That was the purpose why he didn't follow Moshe. But it's okay because he was still. It's kind of like what Yeshua. In Matthew, the, uh, one of the people one of the the, the, the people of the land was actually casting out demons. And Peter saw that and it bothered him. He said, look, they're casting out demons in your name, but they don't follow us. And what the Yeshua said, leave them alone. If they are for us, they're not against us. So we see in here something very similar. where Because a lot of people ask, well, why didn't Jethro go with Moses? You know, it, it's, it seems to bother people, and they can't come to the realization or accept that he converted because he didn't follow Moses. Well, we see the same revelation in book of Matthew. These people were not literally following Yeshua physically, but they were proclaiming the true gospel. So not everybody's always meant to follow immediately. You know, the people, somebody has to be sent out to send the word. So in this case, Jethro happened to be one of those. So in here, the connection now with Jethro is that we see the prophet Yeshiyahu being sent out to go and proclaim the goodness of the Lord. So he says that he is to be sent out. Send me, he says. Now that my lips have been clean, he says, send me. Ibn Ezra shares this. He says, here I am. Send me. Since my lips are pure, I am fit to be the messenger, he says ibns is one of one of the greatest commentators in judaism but it was not before in other words from these words i infer that this chapter contains isaiah's first prophecy because in here his, his lips are being clean so now he is ready to be the prophet for israel the messenger who's going to be sent out to proclaim what he's something very very interesting what is it that yeshiyahu is going to proclaim that's so important that he needed his lips he needed the the, the, the the ashes from the altar to be smeared in his mouth. Isaiah six nine says and he said go and tell this people keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Very, very interesting because this is exactly what Jethro was dealing with or what the people in the land were dealing at that time. I will submit to you the same thing and the same problem that we're dealing with today as we speak. And let's read this in Hebrew. When he says, and he said, go and tell these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. It says, Vayomer la'am hazeh And then it says, Shamoa veal tavinu. That word there for understand is the Hebrew word and I highlighted Tavinu. When he's saying keep on hearing, these people hear and they keep on hearing, but they don't understand. In other words, the word in there for tavinu means to observe, to mark, to give heed to, to distinguish and even consider. In other words, they're hearing, I hear. The words, I hear the, the words, but I'm not giving heed to them i'm not distinguishing i'm not considering the words that are being said to me you ever met with people that you talk to them and you're talking to them and you present something to them and they just completely bypass that and not throw something at you that's that right there you know what you just said meant nothing they just okay whatever And now they want to try to prove that point, which, by the way, what you just said, completely nullify what they prove the point that they're trying to prove. But they completely bypass it. That's the same kind of spirit that the people were dealing or what the prophet Isaiah was dealing with at this point. They do not consider it. Anybody ever, you know, you ever try to tell somebody, look, Jesus didn't do away with the law. And you prove it to them consistently and yet they don't consider it. This is it right here, folks. See, I'm, I'm sharing this so that you can understand that there's nothing new under the sun. And these are the same things that, by the way, in the time of Jethro and Moses, the people were dealing with the same issues at the same time. So it says in here, uh, And now it says, But do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive now. It says, so it goes on to saying in here ve'al tavinu. Then it says uru ve'al te'da'u. I'm sorry. So te'da'u. What is te'da'u? To perceive. It says they see but they don't perceive. Te'da'u is from the Hebrew word yada. What is yada? To know. Now I'm going to share something very interesting because this actually connects with Romans in one of the Paul's letters and we're going to see this very very amazing this piece of scripture here is literally literally echoing what Rasha said in Romans and we're going to share that in a minute here but look they see but they do not perceive meaning they don't recognize they don't acknowledge they don't confess what is confess to know to learn to know in other words I hear what you're saying but I don't want to learn to know, and I don't want to acknowledge it. Where did Paul talk about this in, the, in his uh, writings? Keep in mind, I highlighted two words in there. Learn to know, because that's important. You have to learn to know. So the people, in other words, Isaiah is bringing truth. Let me just summarize it here. He's bringing truth, and we're going to share now what that truth was. And the people are not wanting to recognize it. They don't want to confess it. They don't want to learn to know the truth. So what is this word confess? Because in the context in here, he says, uh, they keep on hearing but do not understand. They keep on seeing but they don't perceive. They don't don't confess. They don't acknowledge. We see this in Romans 10, 8, 9. For instance, look what Paul says in here. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. He's quoting Deuteronomy. You don't have to go to heaven to pick up the Torah. The Torah is near you. You can do it, essentially. So what does he say? That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess, there's that word, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Yeshua and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be safe. Do you know how many times this verse has been used as an anti-Torah missile? okay let's put it in perspective because now i'm going to take it back to isaiah see how many of you actually knew that this connects to isaiah today isaiah chapter six right here when isaiah sent out to tell the people to repent so what is the word here for confess It's homologio and it means to assent but look it means covenant notice what it says covenant acknowledgement of covenant so it's not just saying, "Yeah, I believe Jesus is Christ, and that's it." No, it's acknowledging covenant. Which let's go back real quickly. If we go back, it goes back to this. It goes back to this word "yada," to learn it, not just to profess. Yeah, he is the Torah, and he taught the Torah, but it's confessing that, and now you actually have to walk it. So let's go back to Romans chapter ten, eight. That if you confess with your mouth, you acknowledge that he is the God of covenant and you are going to learn to walk it, then you will be safe. Meaning you're walking out your salvation. What a concept. Yeah, Paul talked about it. So in here, again, this part of scripture, Romans chapter 10, 8, if they ever bring it up to you, take them back to Isaiah chapter 6. It's the same word, to confess. Acknowledging Covenant simply put so it means to assent we already see this to agree with and to ascend and i looked up at that word assent and it means to admit as true you are literally saying wow yes he is the god of covenant he did uh, came to give us the proper interpretation of the Torah we are to walk you see it's, it's coming in agreement and acknowledging the what the, the intent to do essentially to agree, to yield, to concede, or rather to express an agreement of the mind to what is alleged or proposed. So it's not just a simple, yeah, say the word, a magic word, and you're done. It's acknowledging something with the intent to do it, essentially. So what is the equivalence in here is the heart that receives the word with repentance to do now, as opposed to fighting it. Look, in the mislay edition of the prophet says this, alternatively isaiah is to tell the people that although they may listen well to his words before you came to torah did anybody ever came to you and told you about torah or you just happened to come across it online nobody ever came to you and told you hey this is this is the way we have to worship anybody here nobody oh okay that's right so but for some people that's not always the case some people they have an experience where somebody comes up and they express then the truth it is at that point and how we take that truth folks this is what we're dealing with in here you know are we willing to acknowledge and say yes i want to know about it i want more about it you see i heard it yeah and i I acknowledge it and you're right and i want that and i want to learn that's why that word means to learn to know also i want to learn to know this so it says in here that uh, the people of although they may listen well to the words, they would not comprehend the, his message, because they choose to sin and refuse to heed the words of the prophets in the past and rejected their call to repent. Essentially, they deserve to be punished, and therefore God would deny them the opportunity to repent. Is that true? Uh, is misleadition me- uh, misleading us, or is that uh, completely false? Well, think about Pharaoh. What happened with Pharaoh? It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. So, was God manipulating the whole thing? Or is it because Pharaoh's heart was already bad, he was already using that? Okay, that's the same thing with the people. He said, you know what? The people are completely denying the truth. And because they deny the truth, I'm going to go ahead and send them. You know, there's a part in, in Isaiah it says that there's a lying spirit that he's going to send out. And the Lion Spirit said, "I send me, I'll go. Who did he send that Lion Spirit to? Ahab. The prophets. So look what it went in here. Similarly, because Pharaoh deliberately and repeatedly refused to heed Moses, called to recognize that the hand of God and let us go. God hardened his heart, says, so that he would suffer the punishment he deserved in the same way. For th- this is why it's so important, and we need to be very, very careful, family we need to be extremely careful that we're not uh, becoming so stubborn because God will use that against us. You know, in Genesis, it says it, I will not contend with men forever. He's not going to sit here and strive with you forever. You want it to be blue. He's going to give you blue in more ways than others. If you want it to be yellow, he's going to shove it down yellow down your throat. So it, we have to be very, very careful in how we see things. Because God is not always going to strive. And if we're sitting here waiting for a voice from heaven, you may grow old and decrepit before you hear that voice. But better, even worse yet, he might actually send you a lying spirit. It may be a voice of untrue. So we need to be very really careful. So now let's move on in here. Isaiah 6.10 says, Make the heart of this people, dull," says, and their he- ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. He says. Now the way that reads when it says, "Make the heart of this people dull," in Hebrew it says, "Hashem lev ha'am." The word there for make the heart harden is actually. Hasheman. What is Hasheman? It is from the Hebrew word shemen. What is shemen? It means oil. It means grease. It means fat. It's the same word that we use for anointing. So, what does this have to do with the heart? Look what Mesudos shares in here with describing this. God continues to describe that the greatest state of the nation and explains that the people ignore the prophets and even God himself, they say. They fatten. Look what it says in here. Metsudo shares this, and I thought it was amazing because the Hebrew word really does give it justice. They fatten their hearts, close their ears, and shut their eyes because they fear. Now, listen to this. They fear that the word of God may reach them and would... Then bring them to change their ways. In other words, the reason why they fatten their hearts is because they're afraid that the word is actually going to convict them. They actually have to change. In other words, they desire so much not to change that they'd rather not, la, 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 not hear it. Right I don't want to know about it. This is really a bad state, folks, and where they were at at this point. They would much rather listen to a lie than to receive the truth. They didn't want it at all. I thought that this was actually pretty saddening. Look, fattening the heart is a metaphor for insulating the heart. You know, fat is an insulator. So they're saying that fattening the heart is a metaphor for insulating the heart so that the words of reproof cannot penetrate. Exactly. We are putting a barrier on, my, on our hearts so that the, words will, will, the word won't be received. You ever wonder why people cannot see sometimes that Yeshua really did not come to abolish the law? How can you not see it? It's there. It's black and white. It's clear and then through all the rest of the gospel. How can they not see it? Please don't ever ask how can they not see it. You know why they cannot see it. Because they have eyes to see, but God himself is blinding them to a degree. Because this is, they don't want any change. See, they love their customs. They love where they are. They don't want to move from where they are. And if they have to come to change, that means that they're going to have to make lots of changes in their lives. I mean, we see that with religious leaders today. Why can they receive the truth? Well, that means because they go from making $3,000 a week to maybe lucky if you make $300 a week. They don't want to change. It's too much. That means that they will have to go from a a 400000 hundred thousand dollar home to an average forty thousand fifty thousand dollar home. <clears throat> they might have to go from that expensive car to driving something mediocre. There's so many different things why people don't change, folks. And this is the state, the the the, the is connecting in here, the state, the spiritual state of Israel this time. And. We're going to conclude now because it's funny that Isaiah 6-1 leads us into Isaiah chapter 7. And the way this haftorah Torah ends is very, very, very amazing. Because it's concerning the state, the spiritual state of Israel. So we're going to conclude with the Emmanuel prophecy in here now. And why the Emmanuel prophecy in the midst of this? Remember, Isaiah has just been commissioned. He has just been shalach. He has just been sent, his, his lips are now pure and holy, right? And now he is going to proclaim the words of truth to the people. Something that Jethro did, by the way, when he partook of that covenant in Mount Sinai, amen? or in the mountain, rather. So, the Emmanuel prophecy, look what it says, Isaiah seven ten through 14 Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask, either, ask it either it in depth or in the height of above. In order to really understand what's happening here, first and foremost, Ahaz was a very wicked king. He was not a good king at all. As a matter of fact, Ahaz was so involved in idolatry that the Assyrians uh, actually rose, the Assyrians rose up to attack him. And this is typically what happens in the nation of Israel. They fall into idolatry, and then what happens is they're handed over to their enemies. So now Ahaz here who, by the way, is the father of Hezekiah. Later, his son will be Hezekiah. He has in here is a wicked king. He has fallen deeply rooted into uh, paganism. He has erected uh, idols all over Jerusalem. He has not followed the customs of of the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So now Jerusalem is being handed over, essentially. What is the Torah revealing in here, folks? Well, in the, haf, in, the, in the Haftorah, I'm sorry, what is the Haftorah revealing in here? Well, in the Torah, we saw that God gave his holy law. He gave his holy law for a reason, for a people, so that they can be set apart, sanctifying, so that they can have the land, but not just obtain the land, so that they can keep it. And what are we seeing in here in the Haftorah? The very opposite. They did not keep it and they're not keeping it what is happening they're going into exile now the exile in here is physical but can i share something with you guys folks you can af- actually go through a spiritual exile it doesn't always have to have be physically we're always looking in the physical but there's a lot of things in the spirit as well i will submit to you a lot of us are still in a spiritual exile in the body that god is trying to call us back in get away from the exile and this is what he shares in here He says, moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, I I ask a sign. So now he's asking for a sign. God is asking Ahaz to ask for a sign. But look what Ahaz says. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Interesting that he quotes, you know, this is typical that happens when people are in rebellion. Because it's true. The Bible says you shall not test the Lord your God, right? But he's using it in the wrong context here. Because it is God himself who's uh, telling him, ask for the sign. Kind of like Gideon. He should have known this. But he is in such rebellion now that now he's, this is typically what happens when we're in rebellion. We tend to take scripture out of context. That's usually your red flag right there. Oh, all of a sudden now we want to be pious. And this is what Ahaz, Ahaz now is trying to act himself like he's all pious. Oh, I don't want to test God. God is the one who is telling you, ask for the sign. But because what happened was he was depending so much on the noble man for the salvation of Israel, for the salvation of Judah, the the region of Judah, he did not want to turn to God. This is the sin of Ahaz, not turning to God, but relying on men to help him. So read the story. It's really, really amazing, the battle that took place in here. But Ahaz said, I I would not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David." Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will also weary uh, my God also? Why does he say weary men? Because they were depending on men to deliver them. They were depending on the nobles of the nations to help them against uh, Jerusalem being besieged. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, he says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what is the connection? Why is it that the father is bringing this up? It almost appears like it doesn't even belong in here. But remember that Israel is being handed over. I should say Israel, the area of Judah. David, that's why he said the house of David, is about to be handed over. They're about to go into exile. And Hashem is saying this is essentially, this is the cure for the disease. How do we get rid of the disease? In other words, we already have the disease, send us the cure, right? And in here is the revelation of Mashiach. See, today, Israel is defiled. Today, Israel is in exile. For the last 2000 years and prior to the 2000 years in history, folks, most of the history of the Bible is where it's always been in exile. What is the cure? This is what the Hathorah is sharing with us. By the way, there's a connection with the cure, because we already have the disease, with the cure and the Torah. Because you see, Mount Sinai, Hashem came down in Jithro, in the portion of Jithro, right? He gave his laws that if a man doesn't, he shall live by them, meaning he will have life through them. the Hav Torah is connecting mashiach in connection with the torah himself now john says that the word became a living being and we see that there's a beautiful connection in here now let's see this because this is really really amazing in order for us to understand this i want to share something that the prophecy here in isaiah chapter seven that talks about anti-missionaries use this very heavily against messiah They're saying that actually the the one in here that is the son is actually Hezekiah. Which I can can only but laugh at that. It's not Hezekiah, folks. And we're going to see. In in actuality, we're going to prove the text what they say because they say that Isaiah chapter 9 is Mashiach. But they say Isaiah chapter 7 is Hezekiah. But the ancient sages of Israel said that Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 7 is talking about the same sum. Let's go look at it. Isaiah 7 and 9 are speaking of the same sum. The beautiful prophecies here reveal the Messiah. So let's go in here and turn to Isaiah chapter 9 so that we can understand this. Now, the thing that we're going to have to understand, and this is where it's so amazing to go back, as I call it, go back to Israel. Go back to our Jewish roots so that we can really defend this. Because the reality is the anti-missionaries will use this against you, folks. And if you don't know how to defend this, I don't know what to say. You may actually rock your fate then. So we understand that this is because, first of all, the ancient sages of Israel, Hazal and the ancient sages in the first, second century, especially in the Targum era, era, they declared that both of these prophecies are one and the same. So... They declare that nine represents the sun. Now, the, 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 why is it that we need to understand before I get into this? Why is it important to understand in here? Is the understanding of the letter Mem in Hebrew. That's a, a really, really amazing thing that we need to understand. And only we can get this again through the sages. The sages taught on the letter Mem. There's two letters in the Mem. So let's go here to the secret of Mem and the Messiah. Now we're going to be able to defend this very appropriately to defend our faith. Because Peter says that we always need to be ready to give an account for our faith. Right? So let's see here. The secret of the Mem and the Messiah. Why does the Mem, the sages say, why does the Mem repeat itself twice? Meaning we have an open Mem. That's an open Mem. And this is a closed Mem. A Mem sofit in Hebrew. So you got open and closed Mem, Men-Sophie. So they ask, why are there two Mems in the Hebrew language? The rabbis say that it has to do with the two comings of the Messiah. Interesting. That's why there's two. See, we don't get this in your King James translation. There's two comings to the Mashiach through the letter Mem. So what is the, the two comings of the Mashiach? Well, the open mem, it, they say that the people will know him. But the closed mem, which is the bottom one, it will happen in secret through mystery or a miracle. In other words. So they say that one, everybody will know, the other one will be closed. Now there's a representation in the mem, also in the Hebrew. The open mem represents a, like a geyser when the water comes out. And the other one represents a closed womb. Two representations of Mashiach. One in the closed mem as a closed womb. By the way, the closed womb means something that's barren. So hold that thought right there for a minute. So that's why it says that the closed mem will happen in secret and it can be a mystery or even a miracle. Because the closed mem represents barrenness. But it's still a womb. But it's barren. So let's see this. Isaiah 9, 6-7 says. This is where I'm saying. That the Savior said that this one right here is connected with the final one that we just talked about now for this parasha. It says in here, For into us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over all his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from the time from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this so it says in here that of his increase of his government and peace there will be no end now, I'm going to share something with you here. And this is really, really, hopefully, re- it'll reveal something to you. Because ever, again, remember, the ancient sages Israel say that this is Mashiach. Not modern day commentators say it's Hezekiah. Because, of course, they're trying to take away Yeshua from the scriptures. But let's look at this for the way it is. So it says, of the increase of his government, that word for increase is Rabbah in Hebrew. Rabbah means literally like the word you get the name, Rabbi. Great one, my great one, so to speak. But look how this reads. It says, er rabah, ha-mishra, I'm sorry, ha misra ul-shalom, it says. "Misra is the government, you know, the Tsar. What is the blessing for the Tsar? Keep them away from us. Okay, that's the government. ha Mizra shalom, it says, but it says ramra." The thing is that the way that's written in there, that's not the way it's on the scroll. Now, that's proper, the way it's written. In Hebrew, that is proper. If you know anything about the Hebrew language, the mem, the close mem, actually always goes at the end of a word. That's why it's called mensofit. It goes at the end. You don't put it in the front. It goes in the end. Put it in the front, it's complete bad language. But the way this reads in Hebrew is this way. Lem rava ha misra ushalom. what is the difference you guys notice there's a close mem and, and when it says in the increase of his government the increase in there has a close mem the sages say that this close men has to do with the man being in a close womb essentially because the mem represents a womb so it's saying that this this sun in here is the representation of Mashiach who's coming in secret. And it will be not only a secret, remember the closed man is secret, but it also represents a mystery or a miracle. Now we start seeing something more prophetic in here because it's revealing that the Mashiach will come in a close womb and that the birth will be miraculous. Just in Isaiah chapter 9 here, with the closed men is revealing that. So, the fulfillment, the fulfillment for this. Let's go to the fulfillment of the closed womb. Because in Isaiah, it says it's a closed womb. The the Mashiach that's coming in secret, he's not coming as Ben David, everybody's going to see him. It's coming in secret, right? So now in here, Luke 2, 6 through 7, it says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed, it says, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So this in Luke is revealing Miriam giving birth to Yeshua, Which, by the way, it says that it is a maiden. Now, interesting, the word maiden in Hebrew, again, a lot of the uh, anti-missionaries talk a lot about this. You know, it doesn't mean that she's a virgin. But I will submit to you that if you go back to Scripture, you're going to find out that the word betulah and the word in here, "alma," which is used for a virgin, both carry the same connotation, meaning one betulah is a virgin. That's it. But Alma is not necessarily just a virgin, but it's a virgin who's been betrothed. Oh, okay. There's a difference. Because we find this with Isaac. Remember when uh, Isaac was praying, he was meditating in the field, and Rebekah came? Okay, it says that when she left, she was a Betulah. In the very same verse, when she left Haram, she was a Betulah. When she came to Isaac, and they made the covenant, she was an Alma she was now in covenant but she was still she was she was just she was bought for the price the bride the the bride price but she was still a virgin until that was concealed the the marriage was uh, obviously fulfilled but you can see in there that the word really just means a virgin who is betrothed essentially so the alma is a is someone because alma can just mean a young girl a young girl who is old enough to be married Old enough for marriage, let's put it that way. But she's betrothed, which means by default she's not a virgin. I mean, she is a virgin. So, and here it's saying that so it was that while they were there. The days were completed for her to be delivered. Now, remember that Isaiah, Proc- uh, Isaiah chapter nine talks about the closed mem. We read it just now, and the Mashiach is coming in the closed mem, and the open man is you know of course when he comes out of the womb. Guess what? This is very, very interesting in the way this reads. And I found it out. I read it in the Greek, and then I went from the Greek to the Hebrew. And the Hebrew really does it an amazing justice. It says in here, Vayahi, it says, biyotam Sham, then it says, Vayim Le'u, Yameha La Ledet. When it says that her days were completed, it is the word Vayim-malenu. And guess what we have in here? An open mem. In the days that she was completed, the mem that was closed became what? Open. And the child came forth to life. Getting it. Am I confusing you? Good. So that's the purpose. And here that we see the, the 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 fulfillment of this, essentially. The 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 solution for the problem that was happening in the days of Isaiah, and even in the days of Jethro, folks, comes back down to one thing and one thing only, and that is Mashiach. Without Mashiach, folks, there is no deliverance. Without Mashiach, folks, we will remain in exile. So the, the Torah, uh, the half Torah portion concludes with the promise of this son who will come in a close mem, hidden as a miracle, close in the womb, but it will end with the open mem, complete it. For the beginning of the salvation of Israel and the deliverance of all their enemies. Amen. And that's your Torah for today, folks. Hashem. All right, family. So today we're going to be talking real quickly and finalizing the last teaching for today with 1 Timothy. And I thought it was very, very befitting to have 1 Timothy because what did we address today in the Parashat Jitro? Well, we know that in the Parashat Jitro, what happened? There was an ordination, an appointing that took place. You guys see the kind of like the evidence in here? With Jitro, he was elevated to a leadership position within the body of Mashiach. I'm going to repeat that again. He was elevated to a position within the body of Mashiach. Now, there's a great, great, great drash level here that I want to share with you today because... It's very very clear in what we just read Especially concerning Isaiah and Jethro Remember Isaiah also was sent In commission His lips were pure and clean before he was sent Jethro was sent to the mountain Partook of a covenant Before he can be sent back to Midian To minister to the people Here in First Timothy there's a warning now For the people here in the Asia Minor area Concerning leadership Are you guys with me? I promise this teaching will be s- short you can stay awake and it opens up first and foremost first timothy chapter 3 1 says here's a statement you can trust anyone aspiring to be a congregational leader is seeking worthwhile work and now it goes on to understanding in here the works of a congregational leader folks this is extremely important for us today why why is this so important for us today More than ever, this is important, because we are having a mass amount of people coming out of different sects of religion to Torah. I'm going to repeat that again. We have a mass amount of people, just like Jethro was the priest of Midian. He still had to go through a conversion on the mountain and partake of a covenant meal and have understanding before he can go and preach to Midian. Isaiah had to go and the seraphims had to cleanse his lips with the coal, with the, the ashes of the, of the throne, of the fire, so that his lips can now be pure. Are you with me? And now in here, Rashaul, which by the way, Timothy is one of the last letters that he wrote in his, in his career. So this is a, somewhat of a forewarning in here. He says in here, a congregational leader must be above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife, temperate, self control orderly, hospitable, and able to teach. I want to first of all open up with that word in there, a congregational leader. What is he talking about in here? The word there in Greek is actually episkopos, and it means an elder, an office. It actually, it translates from the Hebrew word pikudai. Which literally, pekuda means the act in which God looks into and searches out the ways, deeds, character of men. It is also known in pekuda in Hebrew, which by the way, this goes back to this word. is also known the visitation of God. Meaning when God is visiting you, he's not going to come and have tea with you. He's coming to search your ways. He's coming to search your deeds. He's going to inspect your heart. He's going to inspect your mind. Things that you don't even know are they are gonna come out. So he is saying in here that the word here for bishop is the translation of pekuda, which is the older of an office of, a, of in this case will be like a rabbi, a pastor, and what are the con- what is the the uh, uh, what is required in this case? Well, for one, they have to be faithful to his wife, and it's interesting that in the commentary for that. In the Jewish commentary for that, it literally means one wife. One wife, folks. One wife. Can't have 20 and 30 like, you know, the rest of them. But he has to be faithful to one wife. Okay, That's number one. He has to be temperate, self-controlled, orderly, hospitable. Meaning you you need to be welcoming people at all times. Even if it's out of your comfort zone, you have to open your doors. You know, Abraham was very hospitable. He was known for his ho- hospitality and able to teach. That's an important one. So now verses two through seven gives us the character or rather the uh, the criteria in which leaders have to be judged. But guess what? It's not just the believers that are to judge him even non-believers in other words believers and unbelievers alike have the right to judge congregational leaders by these criteria but it goes on to more than that he must not drink excessively meaning you can drink you can get drunk okay get into fights rather he must be kind and gentle he must not be a lover of money Well, how does that match what we see today? Ching-ching, prosperity gospel. Cannot be a love of money when you do this. Your focus and your pursuit cannot be money anymore. If your pursuit is money, then you don't qualify, simply put. So that we've got qualified leaders out there today, folks. According to right here, Apostle Paul has given us the criteria for it. Why is it that people are not seeing it? Why are we sending $10,000 for a blessing over the TV? I mean, does this match the criteria of a leader, a righteous leader, that our great beloved Rabbi Paul here writes to us? You know, folks, it's all there for us. We walk in this complete bubble of our lives, and the reality is God has given us everything that we know to be able to discern. So now it goes on to saying what? And let me move in here. Now the next one that he gives us, he goes, the shamashim, right? Likewise, he said, the shamashim must be of good character. People whose word can be trusted. They must not give themselves to excessive drinking or be greedy for dishonest gain either. What is the shamashim? It is essentially the shamashim means a, in Greek, it is diaconos. It is a deacon. Even deacons have a criteria in the assembly of God. Do you know that, that uh, Joshua was a deacon for Moses? A deacon means an attendant. Once who helps the elder. The elder says, go and do this. He or she goes and does it. He doesn't question it. He doesn't see him fight with it. He is there to serve. He is there by the leader day and night. Moshe, uh, uh, Joshua, set by Moses, everywhere Moses went, Joshua was there. Even when Moses went to the mountain, Joshua went up with him. This is what we call a deacon, an attendant, the one who takes the commands of others, essentially. So even for a deacon, folks, look what it says for a deacon. Same thing, same criteria. It doesn't change. He doesn't say, "Well, a deacon can be less morally right than an elder," but rather they have to be the same. They must possess the. F- now it's interesting. As in here it says, they must not give themselves to excessive drinking or be greedy for dishonest gain. You guys remember the tenant, the deacon for the prophet? Uh, what was it? Um, Isaiah, I think it was, or Elijah. And how he was greedy. Elisha. Yeah, Gehazi. That's a perfect example of what not to be. Because basically he was the attendant, the deacon for, exactly, for Elisha. So this is what we see in here. Now verse 9 is very interesting. Verse 9 says, They must possess the formerly hidden truth of the faith with a clean conscience. Oh, we're getting into the good stuff. Because after the the characters in here that is given for a congregational leader. Now, let's keep in mind, folks, the context in here. It's not talking about a Christian pastor. This is messianic congregation. This is first century messianic congregation. We got to put everything in the right context. There was no such thing as Christianity at this point, as we know it today, that is. That didn't start until we learn today in the Torah portion of the 324 AD. So what we have in here is an assembly that's messianic, essentially. Messianic, authentic messianic Judaism. So these were the people who were found on the Sabbath, on the synagogue, learning Moses, essentially. So what does it mean when it says in here, in verse 9, they must possess the formerly hidden truth of the faith with a clean conscience? What do you think that means? It it is the biggest and most important out of everything that we're going to be talking about today here. And I want to turn to, hold on one second, just bear with me a minute. Romans chapter Romans 11.25. Romans 11.25 shares light in this verse right here. Hold on to that verse, okay? I want you to hold on to it. And let's turn to Romans 11.25. It connects with what Rashaul is trying to tell the people who want to be leaders within the congregation. And in Romans 11.25, what does it say? For brothers, I want you to understand this truth which God formerly concealed, but has now revealed. You see, there's a connection here. Because this is exactly, go back to Timothy, verse 9, 3, chapter 3, verse 9. is talking about the hidden truth that was concealed. Okay, this goes back to Romans 11.25, same language. This is what I love about scripture, edifying scripture. So let's see in here. For brothers, I want you to understand the truth which God formerly concealed but now reveal so that you won't imagine you are more than you actually do. It is that stoning to a degree has come upon Israel until the Gentile world enter into its fullness. So let's go back to Timothy chapter 3. Because it says in Timothy chapter 3 verse 9. They must possess the formerly hidden truth of the faith with a clean conscience. This is talking about the mystery of the Melchizedek being grafted in in Romans chapter eleven, twenty-five. I want to share something with you very, very interesting in here. And that is in the commentary of scholar David Stern. He shares some light into this and i want to share some of the things in here when it says so that you don't imagine you know more than you actually do literally lest you be wise in yourselves conceited so that you gentiles might separate yourself from jews and imagine you are better than they are right. Right. well you got to put things in the context folks these are people who are now being grafted in who are now being leaders I will submit to you, folks, this is absolutely true. Because what we have is a separation that we find later. You know that the church later claimed to be the new Israel? You need to know the history of this, folks, so you can really appreciate this. Okay, the church said this. Those are leaders. This is the very thing that Paul says in here in Timothy not to do. Not to boast yourself thinking that you're better. And what did they do? The very opposite. They said, we are the new Israel. They're the old Israel. This is the new church, and this is the way it's going to be. Okay, this is what he said as a leader. First things to be a leader, folks, is that you need to understand that if you're preaching replacement theology, you have no room being a leader in this movement. Are you getting this? Just like Jethro had to learn the ways of God before he can go back to Midian. And teach Midian that they were not better. But rather that we are joint heirs now. As grafted in people. Look what he says in here. I'm going to continue. Again this is again scholar here speaking. So it says in here. So that you do think yourself. Uh, separate yourselves from the Jews. Imagine that you are better than they are. Do not be wise in your own eyes. But fear the night and depart from evil. It says. It says in here also. And I want to share this. The fullness of the Gentile world comes in. When all components. And subgroups of humanity are contributing people to the kingdom. Essentially, what he's basically trying to say is when we all hang our testosterone at the door and our arrogance and our pride, leave it at the door, we can actually come together and restore God's kingdom. Understand that it's very, very important. The minute you start thinking that you are better than another group, okay, you need to go check yourself out. And this is what he's warning. That's why he says, do not put a young person, a newcomer, as a believer, because they get puffed up. You see, there's got to be a season of training. What's happening in the Messianic movement today? You got pastors that are crossing over, and they continue being pastors. I think it's totally wrong. You know, I can show you proof in Matthew where Yeshua himself said that is wrong. You need to become a disciple first. You need to learn this faith first before you can start now speaking into people's lives. Jethro, who was a priest of Midian, had to go through this covenant before he can go preach to his people. Why is it that today we have people crossing over to the Messianic movement who are pastors, mega pastors, and then they come to this and they feel they don't have to study because they know the word. And if you don't believe me, folks, just talk to some people. People who, right now, they are pastors who are crossed over, who are teaching Torah, and are misleading people because of it. Wow. Because they're reckless with it. Because they don't understand it. Wow. Timothy has some great things that we never saw before, t- from after t- after today, huh? Look. But the entering of the Gentiles in their fullness, like any other major historical process, such as the Renaissance... And the Industrial Revolution is an, nece- uh, an event that necessarily must occupy a considerable period of time. In other words, what he's saying is that this is going to take a process to happen. He does say that. This is, there's a time here. It's not going to happen all at once. And, we and I believe we all can agree we're witnessing on that. We've seen that this is a process of time. But, family, at the same time as God is revealing things, we need to share this. You know, uh, even though I think we're doing a great job and people crossing over, and yeah, we see that that, this is going in the right, somewhat the right direction. At the same time, I'm seeing that there's a deviating of this, and that is because we're not training pastors who are crossing over. We're not training these people. They're, They're coming as You know, whether you are Buddhist, whether you're Christian, it doesn't matter. Whether you are Muslim, it really doesn't matter. I'm not picking on any single religion here, but rather whatever religion you come from when you cross. Because that's what it says in here. And I'll quote again what it says in here. They must possess the formerly hidden truth of the faith with a clean conscience. They have to know this. They have to go through the training. They have to be able to minister to people the right way. And I mean, I... Can I even tell you how many times I have people come to me and tell me, well, this pastor who changed the Torah and and did this, he's saying that we don't have to do this and this and this," which is reckless. Mm -hmm. And the pastor never underwent a yeshiva, never went under a study, never did anything. He just heard the Torah was the way, which is good. At least it's an awakening. But the problem is that, again, we see here in Timothy, in this Torah portion, there's got to be a process of becoming a Talmidim there's got to be a process where you're learning why because scripture says the leaders are accountable double accountable for what they say so this is an important factor what are we learning in here today folks i'm going to close out now what we're learning in here today is and the cure again because we already got the disease let's find a cure for the disease how do we how do we do this is we share the word you know, you got somebody who's pastor crossover? over. Okay, well, that pastor needs to go through training. I don't care if he was a mega pastor. I don't care if he had, you know, uh, a 4.0 degree in theology. Or if he was the top number one guy in his seminary. If anything, that's bad. Honestly, that's worse. For more of a reason, they need to be in Yeshiva learning the word of Hashem. They need to go through a season of Torah portions. And learn the Torah portion and learn the language. These are things that, again, what are the requirements for a leader, folks? To be a leader, you need to first learn how to be a disciple. So, if we want to fulfill the works of the kingdom, become a disciple. Learn. Be uh, be trainable. Because that's what it says in here. You need to be trainable. How can we, you know, you know how many people come into this and they don't want to hear it. They think they know it all because they went to seminary school now they think they know it all well no you don't know nothing that's the problem and this is the issue that we're having today we have to come and be like little children be trained and be a disciple so elders deacons all these different things if you're feeling the calling of the lord calling you for these things be a disciple go through the torah sit and become a student so that you may learn, so that you don't go around spreading more lies than they're already being spread out there. Just like we see with, our, with, with Jethro, he was able to cross over and teach the Midianites, so the Father is calling his people in these days. And by the way, Jethro was a convert. Same way, same thing in here with Timothy. The leaders for, for this is not necessarily always Jewish people. It's also converts who have been called to do this. We see an, ex- op- in a, an opposite example of this. If you really don't believe me, go to the book of corinthians see that's an example of leaders who've never been trained and what does paul do through the whole book of corinthians he rebukes these people for what they are doing because they're allowing mixed worship into the synagogue this is a major major thing that we have to take serious folks so my prayer is that we will all come into accord and that we will help to build the assembly of the lord amen
1: Yevarekha. a V'chuneka. Yis Adonai. Panav. Elecha. Ve'asem. Lecha. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May the name of the Lord be upon you forever. Amen.
0: Thank you for being a part of our teaching. Be sure to visit our website at www.thefoundationoftheword.org for additional resources and to help us financially. It is our hope and desire that what we teach will help you in your walk with Hashem Elohim, that we bring more souls into His kingdom.
1: And we pray this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah.
0: Amen.